From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Our topic today is ticks and tick-borne diseases. With me in the HealthLink on Air studio is Upstate microbiologist Dr. Saravanan Thangamani. He's a SUNY Empire Innovation Professor and Director of the SUNY Center for Environmental Health and Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Thangamani. Thank you. I appreciate having you me here. How long have we known that ticks carried diseases that could harm humans? Well, uh, to be to be precise, uh, since the 1900s, uh, we have been identifying uh, tick-borne pathogens. And uh, uh, like, for example, Borrelia, the Lyme disease agent, was uh, discovered in 1980s. And then beginning 20s to now, multiple different pathogens uh, that are transmitted by ticks have been identified primarily in the United States. So it seems pr- pretty recent that we've learned that ticks can carry diseases. Yes, we discovered recently all these pathogens, but that doesn't mean that they were not here before 1900s, but we just didn't have enough tools to identify those disease-causing pathogens or germs. Interesting. Um, how many kinds of ticks are there? There are hundreds of species of ticks, but, but however, not all ticks carry or not all ticks uh, transmit the disease-causing germs to humans or pets or veterinary animals. Uh, I would say there's, lar- there's about 20 to 50 different species that are of medical importance. When I say medical importance, means that that causes significant human disease or veterinary diseases. So I've seen pictures of, t- I mean, they're small. They're, uh, I've seen pictures of ticks that are like a poppy seed size. Are they all that small? Not all of the ticks are that small, particularly ticks uh, have multiple different life stages. Uh, so if you want, I can go in detail about the tick life cycle right now is that, you know, when a fed adult female lays thousands of eggs, they all become larvae. Then larvae then have to find a a mammal to feed on. And then once they feed on, they drop off, they molt into the next stage, which is called nymphs. And then the nymphs then have to find a mammalian host and then feed on. A a mammalian host would be a a deer or a dog or a human human or any. Exactly, mammal. exactly. Okay. Any mammal that, uh, you know, different ticks have different uh, preference to feed on which animal they would like to feed on. It's like us having different cuisines that we like. Ticks have preference as well. And, and if, if they don't find a host, they die? They wait. They, they wait, wait until, until they, they find. find. And that's why tick life cycle in nature takes about two to three years to complete this one full cycle from eggs to nymphs to larvae. Sorry, eggs, larvae to nymphs to adults. It takes about three, two to three years in nature. So the larval stages are the one that are the tiniest one. The nymphs, they are, I would say, less than the size of poppy seeds. It's very difficult to find. And nymphs are maybe twice the size. And adults, it's visible to find. And that's one reason why we don't often get bitten by adult ticks, because it's easy to find our human body, that we can pick it out. But uh, unlike uh, larvals and nymphs are really tiny, so we can't find it easily. But that's, I'm talking about the deer ticks. However, if you go to lone star ticks that are preference, that are found primarily in the southern United States, they are really big. And, you know, they are probably three or four times the size of a deer tick. And they take more blood as well. Okay. So are they a threat? Or I guess what I want to understand is how do they get the germ to begin with that is a risk to humans? Are they born infected with whatever causes Lyme disease? Okay, so I can answer in two parts, particularly for the Lyme disease. The, the, let's say the mother to uh, 
baby ticks, which is the larval ticks, there is no transoreal transmission. When I mean to say transoreal transmission, it is the, uh, the transmission of germs from mom to the babies. The babies here are the larvae. Uh, there's less than 1% chance that to happen. But however, for the viruses, there is almost 90% chance that a mom, if it contains the virus, it would transmit the virus to the babies, to the larval ticks. So imagine that one adult female uh, infected with the virus, if it lays thousands of eggs, let's say if it lays 5,000 eggs, almost 4,000 eggs will be positive for the virus. So it depends on what germ we are talking about, but it is possible. If, like Lyme disease, if they are born without the Borrelia in them, what happens is that when these larvae and nymphs, they like to feed on the uh, white-footed mouse we commonly have in New England or the central New York area. And if those white-footed mouse are infected with Borrelia, then during the feeding process, they take all the, you know, a lot of blood from the mouse and in that blood, the Borrelia is there. So, so they the enter the tick gut way. and they stay there and start an infectious cycle. And the Borrelia, is the, that's the bacteria that causes Lyme. Yes, exactly. So. All right. Let me ask you before we look in, I, I want to talk about the viral diseases caused by ticks, but do ticks do anything good for the environment? Is there like a positive to the tick? Positive to the tick? I don't think so. Okay. Well, let's talk about some of the viral diseases that are tick-borne. Um, because Lyme is not a virus, but there's other uh, tick-borne diseases that are that are of concern. So in the recent years, um, in fact, prior to the discovery of Borrelia in the 1960s, a virus was discovered in the deer tick in a Canadian town called Powassan. It's an encephalitic disease. A young boy died of this disease, and that's how they discovered this. Later, they implicated this deer tick or the, or the primary tick that transmit this virus. It was in 1960s. And for a while, this virus was kind of disappeared from the radar. And, but the beginning of 2000 to now, there is a sudden surge in this virus. And we attribute to multiple factors. Um, so that is one primary virus that I can talk about it, that our lab is working However, on top of that, uh, in the last five to six years, there are two additional viruses that have been discovered in the United States. One is Heartland virus, which was originally discovered in the state of Missouri, and then Bourbon virus that was discovered in, in, in the state of Kansas. So those are newly emerging viruses and that have been discovered in the United States. Uh, in a global scale, there are other viruses that could harm people much more dangerously, like the Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever virus that are present in the you know southern Europe and uh, Middle East, Turkey, and even some parts of Russia. They are highly dangerous with a case fatality rate of 30 to 40 percent. And another virus that was recently discovered in China, which is called severe thrombocytopenia-like syndrome virus, which is a mouthful, we call it SFTSV, that also has a case fatality rate of 30 to 40 percent. And in Europe, primarily, tick-borne encephalitis virus is also a major health concern. So the Powassan virus that I earlier did, described is actually, I call it the cousin of tick-borne encephalitis virus. So they belong to the same zero group of viruses. In North America, we call it Powassan virus. In Europe, they call it tick-borne encephalitis. But they do have different clinical outcomes. So Powassan? Powassan. Powassan. I haven't heard of that before, um, but the deer tick, which in central New York, we're familiar with deer ticks because of Lyme disease connection. 
Um, so the deer tick also carries this, or potentially also carries this. They potentially carry this, but however, at this time, we don't know which is the, what is the primary reservoir for the Powassan virus. And that is something that our lab is currently trying to understand what are the primary reservoir for this virus. All right, this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Upstate microbiologist, Dr. Saravanan Thangamani, about ticks and tick-borne diseases. Um, I want to cover Lyme, too. Now, that's a little bit different because that's a bacteria, right? Yes. So uh, the deer tick is the only means of transmission? At this time, yes. Deer tick are the primary um, uh, Lyme disease transmitting agent in the... Uh, northeastern part of the United States. If you go to the California and the e uh, west part of the United States, there is another tick uh, which is called Exodus pacificus that could transmit Lyme as well. But wow. in our part, it's uh, deer ticks are the primary vector that transmits Lyme. So, and this is hypothetical. I don't want to scare people about the Powassan virus, but in theory, if you got bit by a deer tick that had Powassan virus, it might also have Lyme. The Borreliella bacteria, right? So could you end up with both? That is an excellent question. And I think that is an excellent question that our lab is investigating for the last uh, few years. And uh, that is one reason that kind of, you know, attracted me from, you know, Galveston, Texas to Syracuse, New York, is for me to understand these co-infection studies. So as I mentioned earlier, the deer ticks transmit both this Borrelia and Powassan. In addition to this, two uh, germs Deer ticks carry seven other uh, pathogens or bacteria and protozoans. So our lab tries to understand the co-infection, effect of co-infection of Lyme disease agent and Powassan virus. So I can give you a little bit of heads up on why it is important. As we all know that the deer tick has to stay attached to humans for up to, or at least 24 hours for the Borrelia to transmit to a human, 24 to 48 hours. However, on the other side, the Powassan virus will be transmitted to the human within the first one hour of a bite. So wow. which means that when you have a co-infected tick, the virus gets in first, it primes the feeding site, and then when the Borrelia comes 24 hours later, it makes it easier for the Borrelia to infect and make the clinical outcome much worse. And that is what we are doing in the lab. So I think at this time, I would like to kind of highlight what we do in the lab. So our lab tries to understand what really happens when the tick, at the feeding site of the tick, because that is the only space, that is the only time the tick is delivering the germ to a human. So our lab try to understand if we can decipher what really happens at the time of the virus delivery, at the time of Lyme disease agent delivery, we can develop novel countermeasures to stop the transmission. So we call it transmission blocking vaccine strategy. And uh, we have done, we have identified several important candidates that could be used as a, a transmission blocking vaccine candidates. And our lab is hopefully in the next few years, we will come up with some potential product. Now, I thought that uh, there were bug sprays with DEET that would keep the ticks off. Does that do those not work? Do, they do work. They do keep off, but you have to keep them, keep applying them, you know, constantly. Uh, every time before you leave the house to outdoors, you know, or you had to treat your clothing material with permethrin. Right. Uh, and then, to, you know, but then it depends on, you know, application. You have to apply it correctly. Make sure that the ticks don't bite. And if and then when you come back uh, from outdoor activities, make sure that you take shower right away and then inspect the body 
for any potential you know tick crawling on you ticks doesn't attach to your body right away it takes anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour uh, for it to you know stay attached it try to crawl on your skin and then try to find the perfect hiding spot and then it actually inject its uh, you know mouth part deer ticks particularly has a longer mouth part so they kind of try to latch onto it because they have to stay attached on human body for at least three to five days so they anchor themselves very nicely it takes about an hour minimum so if we can you know as soon as we come from outdoor activities if we can check our body we can remove the tick there is i would say 99 percent chance that you will not have lyme disease or you will not acquire lyme disease so what you're working on would that um take the place of a of a deet spray would it work in concert with that or would it replace the need for a spray well our work will replace the need for the spray so our work is that the ticks would come and stay come and try to attach so we call it probing it you know initial stage of probing when it tries to probe your skin to attach what our uh, methodology that we are trying to develop is that we will have antibodies let's say if humans have antibodies against the tick feeding then they will not feed on us if they don't feed on us we will not have any you know disease from the ticks so that's what we are trying to do neat and uh, you've got a vector biology lab here that's what you're working toward yeah, that's an exciting thing that we uh, we have just started. So at this time, when I was talking about the, the research research on Powassan virus, so Powassan virus is a highly dangerous pathogen. Right now, CDC has classified this pathogen as a biosafety level 3 agent, which means that it requires specific laboratory safety conditions in such a way that whatever we work doesn't get released to the environment in a safe way. And then the personnel who work with this agent are properly trained, and we have multiple door access to gain into it. All the air that comes out of this lab are HEPA filtered. And then all security measures are put in in such a way that uh, none of the agent that we work inside uh, you know, gets released to the environment in a, in a bad way. So right now, Upstate does not have a biocontainment level 3 laboratory. So one of my responsibilities is to actually um, uh, construct and commission this laboratory so that we could work with the dangerous agents such as Powassan virus and chikungunya virus and Zika virus that are mosquito-borne, but they are equally important to the central New York region. And particularly, there is another virus that is transmitted by a mosquito that is highly prevalent in the state of New York, which is the West Nile virus. West Nile, right. Which is a level three agent. And to work with those kind of agents to understand and develop novel measures to, you know, countermeasures to stop the transmission or prevent uh, the, the virus infection, we need to work with them in a safe way. And that is one reason that uh, SUNY system has uh, provided funds to construct this uh, vector biology laboratories and uh, we will be functional uh, from spring 2020. Then that's uh, collaboration with Upstate and Environmental Sciences. So and this is right? part of the Center for Environmental Health and Medicine. And this is a unique uh, initiative between SUNY ESF and uh, SUNY Upstate researchers. So if I want to kind of clarify, so we have excellent uh, environmental science researchers at SUNY ESF, and then we have excellent infectious disease researchers at SUNY Upstate. So this particular center would hybridize these two uh, group of people, group of researchers, one an expert in environment and ecology, other an expert in infectious disease, and we are hybridizing these two groups of innovative researchers to uh, re to conduct research on ecology of infectious disease. As we are talking about the climate change and how that is affecting all diseases, and I think this is the perfect time 
for the SUNY system to kind of provide some initiative and funding to conduct research on this innovative ecology of infectious diseases. Well, thank you so much for sharing this information with us. My guest has been upstate microbiologist Dr. Sarvanan Thangamani, the director of the Center for Environmental Health and Medicine at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.